Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Buck Off Podcast with Lane Grant. Hosted by Christopher Rennie and joined by Jordan Williams. Welcome everybody, this is your host Christopher Rennie bringing you another episode of the Buck Off Podcast. The first one of the new year and the first one since Ohio State became Rose Bowl champs and closed out their season against the Utah Utes. Today, me and Jordan are here. As always, I'm joined by Jordan. I almost forgot. I almost started the New Year's off wrong with that. But as always, I'm joined by Jordan. How are you doing today, Jordan? Uh, I'm, I'm doing good. I can't complain. Uh, it's a new year. Uh, new year, same thing. You know, us on the podcast talking about the Buckeyes. So doing pretty good. Yeah, always good to have you with me talking about Ohio State football. Uh, become the most consistent thing in my life, I'd say. So we're here again. Um, today's show, we're actually going to have a lot of fun. We're doing a season in review podcast. If you guys know what that means, we're going to go through all the games, some parts of the season, some stretches of the season, and just kind of take a look back at where our heads were at at that time, how we were feeling, and then what we actually kind of learned from it in hindsight. So I'm excited about that. But before we get into that, we've got a few shorter conversation topics to get into as we head into the show uh jordan you were not on the instant recap with me this week and i know you're itching to talk about the rose bowl a little bit to our buck off audience here so if you want to lead the way here how, how'd you how'd you feel about that game i, I mean it was incredible but how, how'd you feel yeah i have uh two minds about that game I have the football fan and then I have the Ohio State fan. Uh, as a football fan, that was one of the best games I've ever seen. Um, it was very fun to watch. It, you know, all the storylines, all the, you know, the, I mean, literally, that was one of the best games I've ever seen, but it was singularly the best wide receiver performance I've ever seen. It was one of the best. Um, it was one of the best quarterbacking performances I've ever seen. And I'm including the NFL in that just because some of the places that like um, he, he uh, CJ Stroud put the ball and stuff like it kind of re- I'm a Colts fan. It kind of reminded me of the Colts comeback in the playoffs against uh, um, Kansas City with Andrew Luck. Um, you know what I mean? So it was a great game to watch. But as an Ohio State fan, it was supremely frustrating. And it's weird. I was like, I was mad that I was mad because it's like, 
why am I mad? I knew this was going to happen. Like I said before that they could lose. I said that they're Michigan and Oregon, the teams that beat us. They're tough. They're strong. We can't cover tight ends. The middle of the field is going to be open. Our linebackers aren't good. Like, And I was still frustrated because I, I I was mad at myself for like slightly believing the hype that they cared about the game. I was mad at myself for thinking that with three weeks of practice, players would play better. Um no energy and then it's like we won but it was just um it was a at the end of the day it was a very fitting end because all of ohio state's problems the entire year showed up but the one thing that didn't is they just decided not to lose i do one do one thing uh i do want to say one thing that was interesting and i i wonder if you caught it or like what your thoughts of it are um I can't remember the player right now, but in the post-game interview, they asked what happened, and basically they admitted they're like, we struggled with leadership all year. And it was just kind of like a side note, and like nobody commented on it. And it's the it's almost the only thing I heard in that interview. is the, One of the first things that he says is, we struggled with leadership all year. But then in the, in the halftime locker room and then went on and continued to talk about the game. And I was like, yeah, it's very obvious that they struggled with leadership all year. And it's like, maybe we should have known they struggled with leadership when we found out who the captains were. Like, no shade, but why is Cameron Babb, who's never stepped foot on the field, a captain? So it was a great game to watch as a casual fan. If that was Utah versus 128 other schools, it would have been one of like it just would have been a, a joy to watch, but yeah. being against Ohio State was supremely frustrating, um, and it just kind of like underscored a lot of my feelings for the this entire season and for this coaching staff uh, and all of that. Yeah, and I think on our book off the one that sort of previewed the Rose Bowl. A lot of what we said would happen happened. Like Ohio State's defense didn't get immediately better. Like they weren't going to get better overnight. Uh, I knew Cam Rising was going to give him trouble with his legs, but I didn't think he was going to give us that much trouble. And then the last thing I was kind of thinking about was just how, how, like, you know, we talked about so many of these issues, but we just knew CJ Stroud was going to have to have an incredible performance. And he actually had an even, he had to have an even more than incredible performance. You know what I'm saying? Like he had to be perfect. Jackson Smith and Jigba had to be perfect for Ohio state to win that football game. And I, I, the one thing you said that I really resonated with and that I kind of want to touch on the leadership thing was, I don't know why I was so mad at Ohio State football for being this Ohio State football team. Because going in, like you said, we knew. We knew exactly who they were going to be. They showed us exactly who they were. And it took a great defensive effort for this group. Like, honestly, their second half, I will give them credit. For that group specifically, that was a great effort. And that's because the bar was so low. Offensively, Jackson Smith and Jigba, you're my hero. Uh, I think you're you're going to be a, you're going to have a long career at this thing. You're going to be you're going to be incredible. CJ Stroud, like you said, NFL throws. But I think at the end of the day, uh, the leadership thing you brought up, you're right. And you know the defensive captain Haskell Garrett wasn't there. You know I don't know who the other defensive captain was, but uh, if it was. Zach Harrison or Tyreek Smith, they, they never really stepped up into that role. 
Uh, you know, I don't think any of the linebackers had captaincy written on their on their names. And then, you know, kind of seeing how bad they played in the first half, I was like, you guys need to at least show some pride. And I didn't know if they were capable of just at least going out there and playing with pride. But like we saw with Tommy E, there was some pride in that unit in the second half. Like we saw with the defensive line, there was some pride in that unit in the second half. JT Tuamale, you came up with a huge sack. Sorry, JT. I'm sorry. I know it's not JTT anymore. I know it, but it's hard. It's hard to change things. We'll, we'll work on that in the off season. But uh, overall, like I like it was such an incredible football game, but I am so happy. And the one thing I kept thinking during this entire game was like, Jim Knowles starts tomorrow. Jim Knowles starts tomorrow. Jim Knowles starts tomorrow. And eventually that made me feel better. And then we came out and then Ohio state kept scoring touchdowns and scoring touchdowns. And I was like, you know, if they get one stop here, they're probably going to win this football game. Ronnie Hickman overruns the pick and still ends up meeting the tight end at the line of scrimmage. And I don't know if it was a Ronnie Hickman tackle or the tight end, just not fully knowing where he was at on the field, but he was short and everyone knows he was short, but I don't know how, he didn't realize all he had to do was stick the ball out and they would have had a first down. It, was, we the, might be- it was the tackle. Like I watched it because I had that same question. Ronnie Hickman grabbed him and wrapped him away from the line of scrimmage. And I think it was intentional. Like if because if you know, like if he would have just if he would have just ran through him or just kind of like, like he probably gets it, he literally like grabbed him and spun towards the backfield and he lost he like lost a couple of inches or a yard or whatever, and that was it. Like and, and I, I, th- I think it was intentional. I, I, I really yeah. do. And it was an incredible football play. But like, if he doesn't make that play, we probably are having a different story. But I, I remember saying this on the instant recap. Like, Ohio State's defense comes up big, but once they went up forty-five thirty-eight, and I like saw us kick it deep to Braden Covey again. I'm like, you know what? They're probably going to score. They're probably going to score, and we're going to need a game-winning drive. Yeah, because backup quarterback comes in, they get a mismatch on a safety, throw a touchdown pass. Ohio State's defense in twenty twenty one. Yeah, because there's no way the defense could have got to stop there. You know, no chance. No. (laughs) And it's funny because like the amount of like lack of confidence I had in the defense was the complete opposite for the offense. When like we got when Ohio State got the ball back, I was like, they're going to go and score, and they're going to get a field goal or a touchdown here. Like no doubt in my mind. Yeah, first thing I said is they left too much time. I just think, like, one thing that's interesting, and it's just how fandom goes, I just remember, like, me and you being, like, very measured going into the season. And I was like, I said Ohio State was going to win a national championship, but it was solely because they never win it the year that they're supposed to. So it was like, if they're going to win it, it's going to be this year. But, like, I remember us going in and us trying to caution that they're young and, like, all of this kind of stuff. And then the season starts and, like, all that's out the window because you're fans and like you forget like the youth movement like new players at all these positions that kind of stuff and it it plays out and it's just like gut-wrenching to like watch and to like deal with and and all that kind of stuff and then it's over and you sit back and you were like man like but I had kind of said the season was going to go like this or I had a feeling it would go like this but it doesn't matter what you feel like before, what you think. Like watching it is like a totally different thing. But it's just like I, I don't know. This season, it was a lot, and the Rose Bowl was it was the perfect culmination. Aside from, it's like I wish they would have decided not to quit a 
couple of games earlier. Like, 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 where was that leadership at halftime of the Michigan game? Like, you could have used it. That game was a lot closer, honestly. Like, you could have used, you know, a couple of stops and a couple of well-placed, like, routes. Like, you know what I mean? Like, a couple of perfect thrown passes. And it's just like, it was great that you did it against Utah, but... Like, you could have used that against Oregon. Like, Oregon was the same situation, except you got the stop and you got the touchdown you needed. And I understand Oregon's different just because C.J. Stroud was younger. He was still dealing with the surgery. Like, I, I hate when people play the revisionist history game because, like, it's not the, like the C.J. Stroud yeah, that showed the team up was not in, the same in week California two. is not the C.J. Stroud that was in Columbus in week two. But it's just like, man, it would have been great if there were some leaders there. But it's like we talked about it all season. The best players on this team were young. Like, none of the older guys. The best offensive lineman wasn't the fifth or sixth-year senior. The best defensive lineman – wasn't really any of the older guys. The best linebacker wasn't the, like none of the except for no because the best wide the only one is wide receiver. But the best wide receiver wasn't the older guy. He was a sophomore. Like the best corner was a young guy. The best I mean we just didn't have a good safety at all. Every position group, the best player was a sophomore or a freshman, and that is not a good makeup for a team. <laughs> yeah, especially when we get into that conversation. Uh, there were a lot of teams who had guys get an extra year of eligibility and in games where it's tight and it's close, like think Penn state, think Nebraska. They had a lot of guys who were a little bit older who'd been in those situations before. That's a challenge. Oregon was one of those teams who had guys who use that extra year of eligibility. Uh, so like there were those challenging times for a young team and you hope those are the things that mold 2022's team into yeah. a much better football program, a much better team. And on top of that, we've already seen them start doing work in the transfer portal. They got uh, Zach McAllister today, right? That's his name. Tanner uh, McAllister. Not, yeah. Yep. Tanner McAllister. Sorry. Uh, they've got Diamante Tradum, uh, Archbishop Hogan kid adding a body to the linebacker room. Uh, they, they're doing work. They're starting to rebuild. They're starting to add depth. You could tell with this recruiting class, you've got a lot of guys this year. You've got guys like Johnson Dunn, Andre Turrentine, you know, on the, in the defensive backfield, you got guys like uh, Mike Hall. You've got guys like Darian Henry Young who are going to be another year older. who got some experience this year. I'm not sure Mike Hall did, but I know Young did. Um, JTT Jack Sawyer, another year lifting weights, another year getting bigger, another year with more experience in the off season without, you know, as many bodies in front of them is going to be monumental for them. So I think you take that young team into consideration. You take kind of their challenges this year. I think the only way you can get tougher is if you face defeat, if you face adversity, and I think they're going to face that adversity and they're going to be a lot tougher for it. Uh, next year, I think it's a team that's going to be extremely hungry, and I think they're going to be extremely ready to go come week one against Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame. And that's – if they didn't pull this game out, I probably would have felt the same way. But I think them winning this game with the defense coming up big in the second half, with them showing pride, with Jim Knowles coming and seeing what he was able to do with Oklahoma State's defense, which was historically bad before he got there, uh, similar to Ohio State's with less talent. I the the points are adding up that I'm starting to get really confident seeing CJ Stroud the way he was seeing Jackson Smith and Jigba the way he was. Obviously I think Trayvon Henderson was a little beat up at the end, a little worn down. Uh, that's probably just the wear and tear for not playing football. You know, I think the offensive line's going back, you know, we're going to talk about this a lot more next week, but 
Like, I think everything we saw in that last game with everything that's turned over in the offseason is a recipe for rebuilding back to that national championship level. Yeah, I just I just want to address a couple of things that you said. Um, one, as Ohio's just the last thing you said, as Ohio State fans, we need to stop being spoiled. A ten and two season ending with the Rose Bowl is a good season, and I don't care what nobody says. Like it's disappointing, but like I honestly, I never. This is gonna sound weird because obviously you want to win, and it's not gonna matter in two years once they get their head out of their asses and have the playoffs because then it's gonna be different. But like I never want um, a season to be disappointing because we didn't win a national championship because if that's the case every season is going to be disappointing because as we've talked about before Ohio State's not a program that wins national championships every year and what Nick Saban's doing is unreal and it's not going to happen like there's not going like Nick Saban is not going to be replaced like you know what I mean like that's not going to happen where some program wins you know seven titles in 10 years or whatever it is so I want like we need to stop doing that. Uh, to the Notre Dame point, I'm saying it here on January 5th. This episode comes out on January 7th. Ohio State's beating Notre Dame by 17. Notre Dame is not a good team. I don't care what nobody says. I don't care about the coaching change, especially, and I haven't figured this out because I just didn't feel like doing the math, but if Jack Cohen is their starting quarterback next year, it might be like 21 that we beat them by. I don't know what eligibility he has, but I haven't heard anything about any of their backups. I haven't heard anything about him leaving. I haven't heard anything about them in the transfer portal. So Notre Dame's not a good team. I don't care what no one says. Uh, what was the other thing I want to address? It was something you had said earlier before when you were talking. Um I don't remember. At least I got those two out. Like we need yeah, to I'm just. I I think I think this Notre Dame game is going to go very poorly for Notre Dame. I just have a feeling. You you know I think CJ Stroud's already watching film for that game. If I'm being honest. Yeah, like, it wouldn't I, surprise I, me. I, I from all the stories I've heard from Ryan Day, like CJ Stroud's a psychopath when it comes to that stuff. Yeah, so, and from the receivers, I'm talking about he's he's texting them film and 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 bits of info and things like that. Time. That's a, that's another thing that like proves he's pro ready because that's what pro quarterbacks do. Like that's yeah. literally what they do, uh, and and that's different. Um, it's good yeah. though, and I hope people learn from that, and I hope that you know it kind of follows because obviously you know college is. Um, such a such a short time and everything, but I just think like the Rose Bowl. I said the Rose Bowl was great to watch. It was also just super frustrating, and it really showed a lot of holes and, and things that needed to be done. I um, I'm I'm like torn on how I feel about Ryan Day right now. I just need like I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna have either something very positive or very negative to say about Ryan Day when spring ball starts. Uh, And I'm going to do the things I tell fans not to do, which is overreact too early because there's still time. But like when spring ball starts, there's not time. So if there haven't been changes made to like the roster, the coaching staff, some of that kind of stuff, like that's going to be the time where it's like solidified. This is the staff we're bringing into next year. And I'm going to have some, some very uh, hopefully positive or very, very negative negative opinions um, about Ryan Day as a head coach, depending on, on, on what he does in the next month or so. The one thing I will say on that, though, 
is I don't know what he's doing, so I can't comment on that. But I will say I disagree on the timeline. I think the timeline, if even if, if he does make moves, right, and we're all assuming that he will, I think the timeline of how he's doing it is wrong. You have coaches on vacation. You have this kind of stuff happening. And I, I just believe it creates a false sense of confidence and the coaches who think they're coming back, it creates angst amongst the fans. Um, and, and you can say that there's reasons you can say, um, you know, Jim Knowles wants to talk to the staff or interview them or whatever. That stuff could have been done because he was in Columbus because he wasn't coaching with Oklahoma State. Like those decisions could have been made. So I'm not saying that they won't be made, but I disagree with the timeline. Um, and then you see and and and. Again, uh, telling myself and everyone else to calm down, there are a lot of programs who haven't even begun to fill out their staff. Uh, and some of the first programs that fill out their staff are the ones with new coaches. And Lincoln Riley's staff is just now done. And he's been there almost a month now. So, like, these things do take time, especially if you want someone in the NFL and that kind of stuff. Um but there could be like coaching firings. Like there could just be something. It, it's media silent. It, there are no rumors leaked. There's nothing going on. And personally, I just don't like that because it doesn't breed any confidence that anything's going to happen. So, yeah, I, I think where I'm at with that is I'd rather have media silence than all that media speculation we used to get from a certain group uh, that get, would get everyone riled up and then nothing would happen. And then – Everyone yeah. be all riled up, but, but I would I, I would just prefer that the firings had think, happened already. I do think uh, I, I I get what you're saying, and like sending someone on vacation just to bring him back and firing him is like messed up. Uh, and I know Jim Knowles has probably conducted interviews. Like you know, like why would he come to Columbus if he wasn't going to talk to guys? You know, Matt Barnes already left. You know, Kerry Combs is technically still there. Uh, Parker Fleming put on one of like the worst like special teams performances I've ever seen from a kickoff coverage unit, especially from uh, a coach whose only job is special teams. Special teams, that's and, disgusting. You know, we obviously saw Studero's misses. Uh, his four lineman plan that didn't work. His four tackle plan didn't work. There's like obvious red flags I'm looking at right now. You know, I don't think Johnson's gone. I don't think Al Washington's going to be gone. So I think the guys on the chopping block are probably Combs and Studera, and I do feel like we're probably going to get a decision on them sooner than later. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and that's why I'm not ready to overreact because it could happen tomorrow. I mean, it could yeah. happen before this episode comes out and everything I say is, is mute, uh, yeah. whatever the phrase is. But it, it, it's just like I just think that – for as bad as this season was, and I say bad, whatever, because I, I literally just said a couple of minutes ago, we need to, you know, not be upset that we didn't win a national championship. But there are, I will say that the reason why I say bad is there are better ways to go 10 and 2. Yeah. Like this season had a lot of issues that shouldn't happen at a program like Ohio State. And so um, I just like, think that there's wise, no. Ohio State shouldn't have lost two games. Yeah, I just don't. I just think that there's no urgency. I just think that it it just makes it seem like everything's okay. It makes it seem like you're fine with how things went, and that is not okay. I will. I will add. They already do have a new defensive coordinator. Yeah, but like, so he has made moves. They've moved guys in the transfer portal. 
And I, I don't think you fire a coach until you have his replacement, right? Like, I don't no. know how that works, but like, no. you don't. You get him like, out of the building. But because then I, I don't know. Like, you get him out of the building. You fire him and you figure out the replacement later. Like, you don't have to have the replacement immediately because you're making a statement of this is unacceptable and, and we're doing something. And that's about one thing. It. Like, if you fired Coach Studer, a bunch of offensive line coaches in the country are like, oh, that Ohio State job's open. I just became open. Or, or I'm not open, but it's freaking Ohio State. Yeah. And they have Paris Johnson and Donovan Jackson. And, and they just got this Carson. Yeah, they just got this Carson Hensman. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and and yeah. that's my thing. It's just like, and, and the biggest thing with Ohio State is like, I just, and we talked about it before that. Our coach is going to be fired, or are they just going to leave for jobs? Like, yeah, I'm not saying Matt that Matt Barnes, Barnes left should, for a job. Yeah, I'm not saying that Matt Barnes should have been fired, but that's his other thing. I just think it, it creates a negative image or a, yeah. an image that things are acceptable that aren't when you are afraid to fire people or to set a standard. Like, I'm not, he's not. 100% on my chopping block because I really don't think his job does anything, but like Kevin Wilson could also be fired. And yeah, I, I think, surprised. I think that, and no one's Nick Saban, so I'm not just going to put that out there, but I think if Nick, Kevin Wilson was Nick Saban's offensive coordinator, he'd be fired. I think yeah. offensive coordinators have been fired for less. Um, and, I, and it's like one thing, like Nick Saban is exactly he's corporate America in college football. Like it's results always like Ryan Day cares about people like from what it is, seems like he outwardly projects. And that like I think that'll probably elongate the process a little bit. I think that's why you saw so many of these defensive coaches get a second chance this year. And I'm not saying like that's a problem, but like with the expectations the program has, like you need to do that math. Like, is it worth it doing the same thing for another year? Because like yeah. we saw the offense, the offense was still one of the most prolific in school history, but you ran four run plays out of two formations. Yeah. So like if you're running the pistol, if you're running under center and you run the ball 90% of the time, that's not good. That's predictable. You need to change that. It's stagnant. And kind of like when you work with someone for that long, like coincided, because they've been together since what, 2017, 2018? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, so they've been working together for now four seasons. Like something is stagnant there. And the passing game was prolific, so I don't think it's that. Uh, it's a run game. And what's Kevin Wilson kind of – not really known exactly for because he was an air raid guy, the run game. Yeah. So I think when you have two guys who are very elite mentally in the run game, you need to have someone you could rely on in the run game. Did I say that twice? Run game twice? Yeah, you did. <laughs> in the past game, when he, like Kevin Wilson's an air raid guy, Ryan Day is a former quarterback. They are very, very good in the passing game. Uh, in the run game, I feel like you lose a little bit there. And like you relied on Studera because he was really good at that, but it seems like that's passed him up a little bit. There's new stuff. There's new ways to run it. Like how many times do we see like a guard tackle counter like that? Oklahoma's like, that's their staple. It's an incredible play when you're running four tackles. That's the type of play you should be running, you know, well, maybe GT not because like, <laughs> I saw yeah. some, I saw some, uh, some clips where they tried to run that and it looked miserable. Like they, they just couldn't yeah. move. Like their feet were stuck in the mud. Yeah, I guess so. So, I mean, I guess like it comes down to teaching, it comes down to that. And 
And, you know, I, I don't think Kevin Wilson's a bad offensive coordinator by any means, but like stagnation in the workplace is very yeah. common when you have and, people work together for a long time. And he was also hired by Urban Meyer, which means I don't think he was the most forward thinking offensive coordinator. Like I think Day's pair should be a young up and comer who can like create yeah. new ideas. Cause like that's Day's thing. Like, and I just don't, I think Kevin Wilson was good for Urban. I'm not sure that he's good for Day, which is why I don't think Kevin Wilson does well, much. Like, I think what, what? Kevin. It's like why Day and Kevin Wilson were a good combination for Urban because one was the young up and comer. Exactly. Like Ryan Day needs his young up and comer. Like he needs his ideas guy. He needs his guy who's like 25 and doesn't have a family. Uh, and not that having a family is bad, but like doesn't have a family and just like spends all day talking to his NFL buddies and connections yeah. and like stealing other people's plays, which is what Ryan Day used to be. And it's like, Again, I mean, Brian Hartline is the best coach in America, and he has a family. I'm not saying having a family is an issue. Like, don't sit. I'm not saying that, but typically, yeah. those guys who are hungry like that are young and don't you have a family because it's junkie. easy. It's easy to do that. Then you you want the guy that's trying to make a career, that's trying to make a name for himself, and is going to come into the coach's office at six o'clock in the morning with three plays that he stole from freaking directional school in Kansas. Yeah. And it's going to give you six touchdowns on the year because no one can stop it because no one's seen it before. And Kevin Wilson just isn't that. And no. I think that – and it's just like those minor and, things will make Ryan this Day offense so much be there better. Anymore because yeah, he's because, head coach. Yeah, he, does, he just doesn't have time. He just doesn't have time. And that's, that is not a bad thing. He just does not have time. Yeah, it's just – and that's kind of where like – yeah, like he's a great play caller. And there's times in the season where he had really – exact play calling performances and those are against bad teams though yeah so yeah i guess that's kind of where we're headed in this tangent here yeah i just want i I do just want to say this i believe that you can't be a real fan if you are not critical of your team i do think that there's a little too much going on but i will say this because i feel like sometimes i have to clarify what i say i think ryan is a really good coach I think he's going to be a really good coach for a long time. And I also think that we need to realize that this is his first job ever, which really should have never happened. So he's learning a lot of things on the fly and the, one of the biggest pressure cookers in America. And I think he's going to be a better coach for it. A 10-year veteran coach knows when to fire coaches, knows when to not bring them back. He has a Rolodex of people to hire. He has more pool to get that 23-year-old that he was a GA. Like, there are just things that Ryan Day doesn't have right now because he's, like, under 40 and it's his first job ever. I think he's under yeah, 40, exactly. Whatever, however old he is. So I want to be clear. I like Ryan Day. I am not a fire Ryan Day guy, but I also do think in this platform that someone decided to give give me, I have the right and you have the right and all fans have the right to try to hold his feet to the fire, even though he doesn't listen to this. Um, and I, I will say this, and I know a lot of people don't like this guy up in these parts of the country or wherever you listen to it. He's a guy from South Carolina. He coached at a little old school uh, called Clemson. Terrible not, coach. Terrible person. Not a big job. Uh, but guess what? He was the first time head coach at a smaller job than Ohio State. Still a pretty big job in its area. And it took him a couple years to get going. He got an elite quarterback. Guess what? Ohio State has an elite quarterback in C.J. Stroud. Uh, he built an elite 
core of wide receivers, and then he recruited an elite defensive line, and that's when he started winning national championships. You forgot hired an elite coach who was one of the best defensive coordinators for that's 10 years. That's true, too. And that, it really think, kicked off when he hired Brett Venables. And guess what Ohio State just did? So, but we have, to, we have to stop it young. there because if you continue, you start to see he doesn't hire anybody new. Everyone on his staff went or coached the Clemson, and their program is about to suck for the next ten years. So we, yeah. we can't continue with the the, the comparison. No I'm not saying <laughs> that it's like I'm not saying that it's the perfect comparison. I'm not saying that's what you want, but I'm just saying it takes time for a first year coach to build something that hasn't been I, I he hasn't built something before he hasn't done that he's learning to build and that's what Davis we needed that's what Nick Saban had to do at LSU that's what like like Nick Saban had to hire a young up-and-coming offensive coordinator Jimbo Fisher because he's a defensive guy guess what LSU won a national title like there's tons of examples of great coaches having a few growing pains at first at powerful programs and then winning national championships yeah. And that's just that's just the truth. And and so that's why I just wanted to clarify that because I'm going to probably say a lot of negative things this offseason, hopefully mixed with some positive. But it's negative isn't this is going to sound stupid, but negative isn't always bad. Sometimes negative is just the truth. And then you just hope that they build from it. I don't no, know if that 100%. made any sense. I, I, it made sense to me, and that's what, that's what really matters. <laughs> <laughs> not uh, not the not the people listening. As long as it makes sense to you, we're good. <laughs> yeah, that's all. That's all right. So we've got. I, I will go. We'll call these quick hitters because I do want to get into the season in review. Uh, Jim Harbaugh to the NFL. Are we crazy? I think it's real interest. Uh, how do you feel about it? I think he goes. I've said the entire time to nobody because I haven't been podcasting that long that he was always going to go back to the NFL. I yeah. thought he was going to go back to the NFL after a really bad season. I'm also like the world's biggest proponent of going out on top. Like if you've hit, hit anywhere between like this is as a player, but if you've hit anywhere from like 12 to 17 years and you win a championship, I think you should always retire because you should retire as a champion. I think this is the best he can do at Michigan. And if you are ever going to jump, you jump now, especially if you care about your legacy, your lasting memory at his at Michigan. They're going if he leaves now, they're putting him in the Hall of Fame in three years. 100%. If As he, a player and a coach, oh, just just go. And I, I was saying, if he ends up going two and 10 and leaves after like two consecutive losses, like it's not going to be a good memory. He's going to yeah. be the John Cooper of the University of Michigan. Yeah, like you I'm want not the. I'm not one of those people who cares like if Jim Harbaugh beat Ohio State and you want him to come back and get revenge one last time. I'm not. I don't give a shit. He's like one in five against Ohio State. Like, whoop de do. He got one. Congratulations. Took him long enough. But at the end of the day, this is something interesting. I saw one of the Michigan people say, Jim Harbaugh doesn't have an agent. And everyone is like, oh, this is typical agent posturing. Well, isn't that funny? Jim Harbaugh does all his contract negotiations because his had, coaching First stuff. of all, if he had an agent, he's not taking less money. He's not taking less money. An agent stopped going in and being like, yeah, no, you can take the, less money, dude. Because that's the agent taking less money, too. <laughs> yeah, so there's that. And then on top of it, you have a guy 
who loves the NFL, loved coaching in the NFL. I'm sorry. The only reason. Could you imagine someone telling Jimmy Sexton his client has to take half his salary? Yeah, right. Not (laughs) a chance of having That client's on on the first plane to anywhere else in the country. If you go to Jimmy, you call up Jimmy like, hey, Jimmy, so we're going to keep him, but uh, he has to take half the salary. No bonuses. (laughs) We're going to talk about this. Uh, But the only reason Jim Harbaugh is not still in the NFL is because the 49ers chose their GM Trent Balky, which was kind of stupid, for being honest, because we saw what disaster just unfolded in Jacksonville, so we know who wasn't the problem in San Francisco. <laughs> uh, and it's just one of those things. Like he has an opportunity to go do what I'd say an NFL job is a third of the work of a college football coach. NFL job is significantly better. Like, as a sport, college football is better, but as a coach, as an employee, as long as... You don't have to recruit. You don't uh, have to meet with boosters. You don't have to do any of that stuff. They get a whole month off. College football coaches don't get a month off. Yeah, (laughs) because once you get... Like, Brian Day should be... Like, if you were being real and saw his work calendar, this would be a time for him to take a vacation. Guess what? He's got to work out his coaching staff. (laughs) He's got to finish recruiting up until February. The most important thing of all of this, you don't have to take 16 year olds. I'm, I'm, I almost forgot how old I am. I'm 26. I'm about to be 27. I have a little brother who is 17. I have another little brother who's 19. This is family. And I hate like talking to them is like grinding teeth. Like everything is like one word. Like they don't say anything. Say, Hey, how are you? All right. Like, it's just like, and that's family. And I love them to death. I don't want to text someone else's 16-year-old. I don't. I don't want to stroke a 16-year-old's ego. Like, it's just like, it's just, that's the job. And you have to be good yeah. at it. You do. And you have to be able to tell if they're good. Like, as a, as a college, as a, as an NFL coach, you don't even have to know if the player's good. Cause you have 10 scouts, five who scout people in the NFL and another five who scout college who's going to tell you the player's good and then you just have to make them stay good like the nfl job is so much better so much easier yeah it's it's wild honestly if you think about it and i it's real interest and everyone's like agent posturing it's not agent posturing he doesn't have an agent he doesn't the the only he has is for like engagement stuff like sponsorships and that stuff because yeah. he doesn't know that word he's one of like three coaches who was good and co- like not okay like actually good. good in both college and the nfl his and, biggest issue is he can never win the big game but he couldn't do that and, in the nfl that's why he doesn't have a yeah. super bowl ring like we know and, he and can't it, win the big game it's it's fine and like even if he stays it's not a problem i'm just saying like Agent posture. It's real interest because he doesn't have an agent. That's pretty much yeah. the point I wanted to make on here. And he has connections to the Raiders. Like, I don't yeah, – Yeah, real connections it. to the Raiders. Like, good friends with the owner connections yeah. to the Raiders. I, which kind of scares me because of – saw John owner. Gruden <laughs> get paid $95 million yeah, yeah. by yeah. the Raiders. It was 100. 95 God, is my It was 100. Um, I, I will say this. Jim Harbaugh does not want to go to the NFL enough to take any job. But think of the jobs that are open. The Jaguars with the number one pick and Trevor Lawrence as your quarterback. The Chicago Bears with good defensive pieces. Justin Fields as your starting quarterback. And that one's a little bit harder because it's going to be a, re- a rebuild. But you have Justin Fields as your starting Top quarterback. Top 10 draft pick. And, and no, they, they don't have their draft pick. because oh, they traded it. That's right. Yeah. Blue Mac but, trade, right? No, they traded it to get Justin. 
Oh, shoot, that's right. Yeah. 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 But still, it Justin Fields is your still, starting quarterback. You already you're got in, the quarterback. You're in Chicago, and there are some young players on that team. Or the Raiders, who less are borderline the playoff least, team. Yeah, I mean, they, they might make the playoff this year with all the mess. They have uh, – They have get a real coach Darren in the room. Yeah, they have Darren Waller. They have um, the running back, who I can't think of his name right now. They have Derek Carr. Like, they have some pieces, too. And the Raiders' biggest problem is they had Trent Baalke and, like, other crappy people. Not Trent Baalke. I'm stupid. They had people who didn't know how to draft, and they drafted, like, Colin Farrell and stuff. Like, yeah, they drafted, Colin Farrell, um, uh, Henry Ruggs. Uh, who's the Ohio which State guy that they drafted in the first the- round? Uh, uh, was it Sean Wade? Was it no? No, it was uh, the other uh, like, Damon Arnett. Apple, Damon Arnett, who was good, but he wasn't a first rounder. Oh. We all knew that. Every Ohio State player, every Ohio State, anyone yeah, who played Ohio State was surprised. Like, That's right, like, number one yeah, first round pick. But then, but like, like, <laughs> like that, and it's freaking Las Vegas. Do you know how easy it is to get like? Like NFL free agents, like I and I listen to a bunch of NFL stuff where like location is not the only thing that matters. But when it comes in, is if you have three teams that are offering you the same contract, location matters. So if you're yeah. willing to match people's contracts, and then you can say, "Hey, we're in Vegas, they're coming." Like, so he's not going to go for any job. Yeah, I didn't know that actually. I did. I didn't know that. Yeah, I don't know how much that works because I know you get taxed for your games played, but I had to. I mean, eight of our game checks are. <laughs> yeah. Either way, it's like he's not going to leave for any job, but there are a couple really intriguing jobs, and this is the time to leave. So uh, we're not saying he is going to leave. Actually, no, I'm saying he's going to leave. I think he's gone. I all like right, I'm saying. All I'm saying is the interest is real, so I'm going to be right or wrong. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not taking a stand here. I'm just saying, I'm right. The interest is real because he doesn't have an agent. That's my point. And I think I just straight up think he leaves. But I've also been saying this for like three months. Like I've mentioned it on Twitter and stuff like that, that like Jim Harbaugh is going to leave. So, All right. Next one, JSN opting out. You were right on the money with this January 1st. Uh, January 6th or January 5th, they're already talking about JSN should opt out for the year. Four days. Four days. They made four days. My tweet Uh, said summer. I thought we were going to at least get to like July. No, January 5th, we're talking about he's not going to opt out. First off, I just want you all to know that. He's not. Uh, Second off, like this is how stupid the national media has gotten. ESPN was literally talking about Jackson Smith and Jigba opting out. I don't know what show it was on, but if – I mean, I guess their business isn't Jackson Smith and Jigba because the Big Ten isn't really – Ohio State's really not that affiliated with ESPN, but – It should be. They just It's like if you care about college football, you want Jackson Smith and Jigba to be there, and he shouldn't be being like, oh, should he opt out? No, he shouldn't opt out. He's put on like – Which is hilarious. He's probably put four games of great tape up, if we're being honest. And obviously he's a super talented player, but – I might disagree with that one, but – I said great tape. I didn't say good tape. I said great tape. That's fine. Which is more than a lot of plays. And honestly, 325 or however many yards on 15 catches, probably enough tape you need. But But uh, it's so crazy that they're talking about that on ESPN. It's stupid. Four days before their headliners literally get roasted for a week straight for saying players opting out of one game means they don't love football. And then you're going to go back on the network and say he should opt out of the full season. Absolutely horrendous. Uh I just don't get it. Like the lack of 
like a network continuity in the message like people are putting out even like the college football people there like there is not a lot of dissenting opinion besides like the sec being the best conference in college football and all that stuff but like i just don't know like how you could have your premier college football voice say opt-outs don't love football and then four days later you literally have segments on your espn programming where it's like he's got opt out for the whole year jamar chase it <laughs> yeah and it's like, like okay that works for jamar one, chase, but one like, example will be successful and and Jamar Chase and Jamar Chase isn't getting drafted high if he opts out in a non-COVID year. Yeah, <laughs> because they're going to say not, he doesn't love football. <laughs> yeah, it's just vicious. Uh, then uh, last news: Tanner McAllister, former Oklahoma State safety, has transfer committed to Ohio State, so he'll be a Buckeye. Really good player. Immediately fills the need at that slot corner role, that nickel safety. Brings a lot of versatility. I think it's a good pickup. He's a depth guy for sure. But the more safeties you have in the room, and this is for you guys, the less likely we are to have the same issues we did last year with who ends up on the field. Yep. So, yeah, and honestly, I don't think he's a depth guy. Um, I'm gonna I think say he's going to contribute. I, I, I think he's a starter, I, and I'll tell you why. I, I, I we talked about this before. I hate dropping names. Well, first of all, his 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 main position at Oklahoma State was cover safety, which is yeah, literally so, the worst position on the defense. Yeah, name so a cover Cam safety. Cam Martinez that, and no. Lathan Ransom probably are not no. going to start over him. No, well, not with how much goes into the role. No, but the other thing though, uh, and I we talked about this before. I hate dropping names. Um, he's Jordan Fuller. He's not the best athlete in the world. He's not. You're not going to yeah. look at him and be like, "I want that guy on my team." Not your number one pick, but he's he's just a very solid, very smart player who rarely makes mistakes. And honestly, that is what Ohio State needs. That's what it needs more 100%. than anything. And I, I read the article on him. And literally, he talked about, like, this is not just some, like, random guy. He had offers from schools everywhere, SEC, ACC, multiple Big Ten programs. Like, even like, and he he could be lying, but he said he didn't leave solely to come to Ohio State. Like, he wanted a bigger stage, and Ohio State won out because of uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba. They grew up together, and Jim Knowles, obviously, his coach for four yeah. years. Um, but, like, everyone wanted him. I, I don't, like, he's not, I don't think he's running a 4-2. I don't. Like, you know, he's not 6'3". Like, you know what I mean? Like, he, did, he doesn't look like he's built in a lab. But I think he has all of the things to start. He's, I think he's, he's a football Jordan. player. Yeah, he's I think he's player. Jordan Fuller. Like, Yeah, like, he's it? never going to wow you, but he's a football player. And Ohio State needs more guys who are I, – I don't want to say less athletic, but they need more guys with that football mindset. Like, it doesn't matter who you put in front of me. I don't care if I'm less athletic than you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat you. And that's Tanner McAllister. Yeah, just need good football players. And I, I, I thought I retweeted this, but maybe I didn't. Um, there's a something going around about him where basically he was top three in every stat that counted in the um, in the uh, Big Twelve. Wow, like on like on like it was like yardage given up, um, not interception. It was like yardage given up, something else and something else. Like, but he's like his stats were were very good, um, and I thought I liked it. And I always like to record with my Twitter up so I can find things, uh, and I, I'm not finding it. So 
I'm not a liar. Just you know, you have to go find yeah, it. Yeah. But um, uh, either but yeah. way, he, I think he's a starter. I don't think he's a death piece. I I, I genuinely think he starts. Yeah, uh, I I mean I think it's a huge pickup. Uh, so I I think everyone should be excited. Plus it brings in a guy who knows the system, and that's important when you're transitioning to a new defensive coordinator. So yeah, and then I tweeted out the safety room is incredible next year. Like if everyone gets healthy. So, so I'm excited for that. But we're gonna take a quick break, and then we're gonna review the 2021 season. So catch you guys on the flip side and. Get ready for a trip down memory lane. Welcome back in, everybody. This is your host, Christopher Rennie. Hopefully, you guys are enjoying the show today. I'm here, as always, with Jordan Williams. Uh, first half of the show, we got into a lot of the more recent news, some of the conversations surrounding the Ohio State football program and all that stuff. Um, been a fun show so far. How are you feeling, Jordan? Uh, I'm feeling good. Um, as always, we we kind of went on some tangents, but I think it was good to to get some stuff off our chest. Sorry for the people who think all we do is whine on this show. I don't know that we uh, I don't know if we dispelled that with this episode, but I'm having fun. I don't know about you. Yeah, I I, I think sometimes being critical could come off as whining to some people, but uh, when the defense is bad, I'm going to complain. So. That's just how it is. And the defense was bad against the Rose Bowl. But guess what? We celebrated all the offensive players. Uh, And if you're mad at us for complaining about fans, you should just look in the mirror. Yeah, that's probably why we got that review. Uh, I'm sorry. This we do not have to talk about this because we can't. We have way too much to talk about. Every single Devin Brown highlight that has been put on my timeline from this All-American game has been absolutely insane. He is really good at quarterback. Like, he, I, like, I don't think I don't think people really understood like what I was saying when like Quinn Ewers transferred and we got Devin Brown. I was immediately like, like because I, I like you know I went to the Elite Eleven Finals in at Miracosta High School because I used to live out there. I saw all of them throw in person, and I remember watching Devin Brown throw. I'm like, wait a minute, who's this guy? And I. Remember, Zach Wilson went to that school. A bunch of other really good quarterbacks went to that high school. And I I just want to go on record. I told all of you when he committed that he's going to be incredible. Every single highlight, uh, we should probably retweet a couple on the podcast page after the show. Every single highlight has been insane. Like his ball placement, his arm strength, his ability to throw off platform. Like I think the two quarterbacks that have impressed the most most are Drew Aller and Devin Brown. And I think that's how I saw the two quarterbacks. I think they are two of the most physically impressive quarterbacks coming out of high school. And like, you know, I, I saw them compared to Quinn. And at the time, Quinn was probably a little bit more exceptional. But but, but guess what? Everyone matures. They got a whole nother season playing as a starting quarterback. And I just want people to know that's important. It's very yeah. important. I just I just sent these to you, uh, and I'm sorry for the people listening to this because this makes no sense because you can't see it. Caden uh, Curry it got tossed by um, yeah. So did you see that one right by Tegra where he tossed the guy? Yeah, that was Caden Curry. So I didn't know that at first until I saw it again with Caden Curry's name. There was another rep that just happened that was posted later. He just bull rushed him. He bull rushes him, and then immediately. Tegra is like, let's redo it, which is the which is what I need to see. Like, I need like, and, no, you're not going to take and a when loss. You see that, 
we're seeing Devin Brown throw to Keon Gray's incredible. We're seeing Tegra Tishabula and Caden Curry iron sharpen ironing on the defensive line drills and the offensive line one-on-ones. Like this is awesome. And if you guys don't tune into the all American bowl, you're not a real fan. I'm just going to let you know. We got a lot going on hero canoes committing. So have fun with that. Yeah. And I saw, Oh my God. I saw this one Caden Curry one where he just like swim moves somebody and kids alive. Caden Curry and Tegra Teshable are eating kids alive. There's a reason they're going up against each other right now. Cause I've been to, all American bowl camps, the football university camps are the feeders to it. Uh, they put the best kids up against the best kids over and over and over again. Uh, and that's what's happening there. Yeah. Uh, in the summer when we have no content, we should talk about the camp circuit and stuff like that. And like explain that's one, I think it's a good conversation Two, I don't think that many people know about it. I actually yeah. went to football university, had so much fun, got invited to the football got, university alums, got invited to the next round. And my parents saw the cost and said, no, <laughs> so uh, I, was, I was so <laughs> salty. So I think that'd be a fun conversation. And I, I actually, I actually may have some, like you've been to them. I've been to them, but I also may have some in like some, insight later in the summer because i'm trying to take my little brother to some because he yeah, he's be gonna fun. start he's planning on uh starting varsity next year he's gonna be a junior so i told him i'd take him to some camps so you know in june we have nothing to talk about maybe we can talk about some camp circuit stuff and just like the life of a recruit and, and, and kind of how you get into and those recruiting. days are I think, grinds i think that'll be fun yeah i think so too but yeah all american bowl this weekend check it out ohio state basketball plays at indiana this weekend check it out if you're already missing the ohio state football fix that's some stuff for you to watch uh but before we go any further uh let's get to this uh so the season in review if you had to describe the season in one word right now like, what would your word be? I, I didn't think about this, so I'm putting you on the spot here. But, like, what would your one word be? Um, I'm sorry. I have to be petty for half a second, and then I'm going to answer. So, uh, this is just – this is such a mess of a podcast. Oh, I just lost it. This is such a mess of a podcast, and I apologize because it's all my fault. Um, I lost the tweet, so I will answer your question. You said one word to describe this season. Um – one word is hard. I would say a phrase would be up and down. Um, up and down. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Is is roller coaster one word? Yes. Mm, no. But it is works. It? it works. I would say roller coaster. So. Um, so I'm sorry. I just have to say this just because you had tweeted it and it's funny. Someone, a Michigan football account tweeted, with Hinton now gone and Dax also looking to leave, is 2022 looking more like a, re- a rebuilding year? Hutch, Ojabo, Hinton, Hinton, Dax, Gray, Hawkins, and Ross. That's a lot to lose, not to mention leadership. And it's like, are we, are we serious? All right. Did, All right. So <laughs> we're going to take a hand here because this is personal. Uh, this was like bad for my mental health even. Um, we went on a list on an instant recap of six or seven players and said they're not coming back. And Jordan and me, we play off each other a little bit. We get a little hyperbolic would be a good was, word. I'm not going to lie. I was emotional. It was right after we and, lost. <laughs> and, and a loss to Michigan, like we were emotional and we were going through the list and we were trying to find reasons to be excited. We're like, this guy's going to be gone. This guy's going to be gone. Seventh year senior Daxon Hill, he'll be gone. And, you know, there's a lot. There was like multiple fifth and sixth year guys on their defense we could have chose from. We just got the names mixed up. 
and Michigan fans went in on us for almost. I was like a week, right? Yeah, it was like a week because people like kept finding it and like popular. And we just we kept saying like checks next to their name, talking trash yeah. about us. And we we went in and we're like, all right, when all six of these guys are gone, it's going to be a middle finger to you guys. Like honestly, because we're still right. Like we didn't get the ages right, but we're still right. And guess what? It looks like all seven of those players are going to be gone. Plus some of the offensive linemen that we didn't name because we just didn't know their name. Gone. Gone. Uh, so that, that that is, that feels good. Oh, we don't know what we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Suck it, Michigan fans. How fun are <laughs> you building next year without a head coach? Uh, I'm sorry. I just like this podcast has been all over the place and largely a lot of it is because of my tangents. But I I saw that and I had to say something because it's like these are all literally all the players that we mentioned and said we're going to be gone. But because yeah. one guy was a third year guy and one guy was a fourth year guy and we said fifth and all this other kind of stuff, we were wrong. But it's like they're all draft eligible. They're all your best players and they're all leaving. So, boom, we were right. Uh, suck it, Michigan fans. You guys suck. All right. Down to business. It's time. It's time. Business. All right. So, roller coaster up and down. I, I, think, I think everyone can probably agree that's the season. So, first look at this season review. Uh, Minnesota game. No, it was a weird one. Uh, it was one of those Thursday openers um, going into Labor Day weekend. and Or was it a Monday opener? Uh, it was Thursday or Friday. It was Thursday opener. It was yeah, it, it was a Thursday, Thursday opener. Yeah. And it was not the prettiest football game, but, you know, you take the excuse. First games are always kind of ugly. You know, everyone's kind of getting back into tackling, all that stuff. Offensive linemen are getting used to the real-time game physicality. So a lot of those problems we excused as first game issues. The offense was very stagnant in the first half. I had friends texting me. Are we about to lose this opening game to Minnesota on the road? I was like, I don't know, man. This is the first time I've seen this team, too. I haven't been able to put perspective into this. But I remember my initial feelings was like, we're not going to lose. Then Ohio State exploded with like three, four, with four touchdowns that were over like 40 yards long and just absolutely just murdered uh, Minnesota's secondary. And then Ibrahim got hurt. The defense really stepped up after that moment which is easier to do when you're not playing one of the best backs in the Big Ten. I just thought this game, I didn't think it signified anything for the season, honestly. I just thought it was a normal first game against a team that ended up competing for a possible chance to go to the Big Ten championship. Very long shot chance, but they were still a good football team, all things considered, after Mo Ibrahim got hurt. Yeah, um, I remember that game. We talked about the, how that was a very bad game to start out with like Minnesota is not a scrub and they had the best running back in the Big Ten at that time and honestly I'm not sure that at the end of the season he still wouldn't have been the best like I know Kenneth Walker went crazy but like I still might take Mo over him. I, he was yeah. really, really good. So, Mo would have probably had like 2,200 yards had he yeah, stayed healthy. Yeah, so especially because they had like multiple running backs close to 1,000 because all they and do is I, run the ball. I know Bowling Green beat him, but if they had Mo Ibrahim, he single-handedly beats Bowling Green. Yeah, by himself. So um, I honestly with Mo and what happened, and if everything stays the same but they have Mo, they win the West because I don't think they lose a couple of games that they did. Uh, and they were still had a chance to win it in the last 
last weekend. So I think they just needed Iowa to lose or something like that. So, yeah, um, that game was interesting. I, I agree with you where it's like I didn't think it was a referendum on the season. I thought it was first game. It's a weekday against a really tough opponent. Um, turns out we were wrong. Um, a lot of the stuff that came out in yeah. that game – and the I rear think, view were issues over the season, but um, and then coming off the season before in the first game, giving up all those yards, it should have been a sign that nothing got better over the offseason, which should have been a huge red flag. But then again, Ohio State lost three starting linebackers. They lost a lot of talent that played, and they didn't have a lot. They lost Tommy Togia, which was a huge loss in the offseason. Never felt like his his position like fully filled that void. So. I, I don't know. It's one of those things where you couldn't take too much from it because it's the first game, but I do think some of the writing on the wall for what to come was there. Like the way Mo Ibrahim was able to run all over us. I think, you know, with more game film, teams were able to expose some of the weaknesses a little bit more. Like Joe Moorhead obviously looked at the Minnesota film, saw two or three things Minnesota did really well. And it's harder to see in a game situation, but he's like, we're going to attack those three things until they stop it. And then we saw what happened the next week, which I don't want to transition there yet. But I want to talk about C.J. Stroud's first performance because I, I think it did not get rave reviews. I think it didn't really deserve as much doubt as it got. And I think he actually played pretty well looking at the stats. And that's kind of what I wanted to get into on my first key stats here. Uh, C.J. Stroud had a really big second half. Um, he ended up throwing for, I think – uh, got it up right here. He ended up throwing for 294 yards in his debut, four touchdowns, nothing crazy. I, I think this is the game where we thought Mayan Williams was going to be a superstar. Uh, and then who was it? This is Trayvon Henderson. He had the one catch for 70 yards. And then we're like, okay, this dude's different. Yeah, it was like, okay, he's legit. Like we spent the offseason like, yeah, you know, maybe three or four, five or six games in. Trevion Henderson right. is going to be the starter. He, I think he's going to be good. And then just one play touchdown, and it's like, nah, he's he's the guy. <laughs> like he's the guy. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so Minnesota game. I just don't really think, all in all, I don't think it really played much of a part in the overall season theme. I think first game different. You know, I think the linebackers didn't play terribly, but they didn't play good, which wasn't the theme of the season because they played terrible most of the big games they played in. And I think Josh Proctor's injury was very crucial because that led to Bryson Shaw becoming the starting safety. And I think that is significant when you look back at the season. I think that's probably the most significant thing that came away from this game. Yeah, I think the most like one singular thing, like, you know, one thing doesn't make or break a season, but I think the most one singular most important thing was his injury. Like, I think that was the thing that uh, sticks out more than anything. Cause like when yeah. you watch games, it's multiple things. It's this, that, and the third. And I'm not saying that, you know, him by himself, actually, no, maybe I am saying it because there's a couple of long touchdowns that he doesn't give up. Like I know one player doesn't change everything, but there's a stat that's called wins yeah. above replacement that's in every, everything. And there's a chance that he makes one or two plays that leads to a win. And now we're 11 yeah. one and the season's different. Um, so, yeah, I was going to say, so, if you kind of want to smooth transition this to the Oregon game, because I think there's a good point here. Yeah, go ahead. 
uh, CJ Burdell had that touchdown in the hole where Bryson Shaw just wasn't anywhere to be found. Do you think Josh Proctor makes that play? hundred percent. And that's, that's kind of, I think that signifies how important that was in the Minnesota game. Like just him breaking his leg. Yeah. And then being done for the season. And, and here's the thing. I, I want to say this because whatever, there are a lot of players who were not great, who got better. That does not mean we can't talk about how not good they were. Bryson Shaw got better. Yeah, I, I think Bryson Shaw will be a serviceable player next year. As long and, as he doesn't have to play 90% of the snaps. Yeah. The issue with him is he could play one snap and give up a big play. So you you never know what's going to happen. Um, unfortunately, he can't be the deep safety for sure. He can't. Um, he did come up, like, and it ended up getting kind of washed over. But like his improvement showed in the last game of the season when he made that huge interception against Michigan. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. So, but yeah, I do think um, he makes. I think Josh Proctor makes that tackle, and yeah. Josh Proctor is another guy. It's weird because, and maybe it changes with some of the people that we've recruited. But it's weird that like Ohio State has never had a stud safety that was meant to be a stud. Malik Hooker wasn't meant to be a stud. Jordan Cooler wasn't meant to be a stud. Josh Proctor wasn't meant to be a stud. And I don't think people realized how necessary he was until we lost him. Uh, Tiger Powell, like the list goes on. Like we've never had a guy, like we've never had a Kyle Hamilton who when they went or, or an Xavier because we lost him where we recruited him. It's like this guy is a stud. Yeah, like even like Von Bell, I think was like a four star recruit, and he he still same treatment. Tyvis Powell is in that same, like you said. We just had a lot of really good safeties, yeah. and then occasionally one of these guys just becomes a superstar. And I, I honestly have a feeling like that's going to be like Andre Turrentine because no one right. talks about him. All of a sudden, I think in the offseason, he's going to be like, "Yeah, this kid's incredible," because he was a freak alley. I think he was like a ten six guy in the hundred meter. Was he? Or it was either uh, Kai or Stokes. Who was one of those guys? Yeah, Kai Stokes might be a superstar. That's the name I just yeah. want to keep throwing out there. Another track even star, not, even though we're not going to see him play for a couple of years. But but yeah, I, yeah. I think the Jordan Fuller, uh, not Jordan Fuller. I keep I love his I love him, so I keep saying his name. But yeah, um, Josh. But Proctor. so yeah, the Oregon game. This is this is where I think a lot of us like this drew the ire of the entire fan base because number one, it was a home game. Number two, you look at everything on paper, you go down the list. There is not a single part of Oregon's roster that Oregon fans would rather have than Ohio State's roster. Except Kayvon Thibodeau and uh, the, yeah, the linebackers. Yeah, Kayvon Thibodeau and uh, no, Noah Sewell, right? Uh, it's yeah, Noah, Noah Sewell. Sewell and Justin Flo. Yeah, and Justin Flo was hurt, so he didn't even play in the game. Right, and same was, same was um, Thibodeau. Yeah, so they didn't even play in the game. And I obviously, I think this was a game we reflected on later in the season. Like, this is the game that needed to happen. This was the thing that needed to happen to spark the change. And in the moment, it was really hard to look at it that way. But what I have in the notes, ugly defensive performance, worst game of the Coombs era. And the only reason I'm saying it's the worst is because three of their touchdowns came from the very exact same play three times in the same situation at the same point in the field. Every time they needed a third down, they had a similar passing play. Joe Moorhead, me and Jordan talked about this after the game, not a complicated game planner, not a complex offense. Very simple, actually. 
was able to piece apart Ohio State's defense. And he, I won't even say piece apart if it's the same play. Yeah, it, it's it's just he his like his whole mindset's like if they're not going to stop it, we're going to keep running. That is his whole mo as an offensive coordinator. What did they do? They kept running the same plays. It kept working. I don't know why Kerry Combs is so worried about Anthony Brown running because he's he's a good athlete. He's not the greatest. He's not he's not Justin Fields running the football. And it was pathetic. It was honestly a pathetic performance. And offensively, I think this is where our our ears kind of perked up with Ryan Day. Was he didn't really have a creative game. Ohio State, that's where we sort of started seeing the inside zone epidemic with him. It would be third and one. They'd run inside zone. Oregon would meet them in the hole, get interior penetration, and blow up the play, and then they wouldn't get the first down. Fourth down, they didn't convert. It looked like a game that they were extremely flat. Like, just every single thing on the checklist. I think the conversation about leadership earlier in the show, you could tell there was no leadership on this football team at that point in time. Yeah, 100%. And that game was – I'm trying to think of the name for it, the word for it. That game was – I felt hopeless, helpless, both, honestly. Because it's just like like we just can't get the play we need. Like, and every – and that's why, like – I struggle when like I'm very big on words and like words have meaning. It's just like a really weird thing about me. I don't like when people use the wrong word, which is funny because I feel like I do it all the time because my vocabulary sucks. I'm not good at English, but like I I hate when people say like Ohio State got dominated by Oregon and and things like that. They didn't get dominated. They got outplayed, but it wasn't dominated because at any moment, if Ohio State was Ohio State, they could have came back. Like, if we had Justin Fields, we could have came back. It was just a culmination of a young quarterback who was injured, bad coaching, uh, a bad defense. Like, it was just like a culmination. And it was like, they still should have won the game. There were so many plays that C.J. Stroud made later in the year that he couldn't make against Oregon. And I would watch them, and I'm like... If, if, if we played Oregon game four or if we played them game six or eight or whatever. Yeah, if Ohio State game. was fortunate enough to play them after the stretch of like Rutgers and Maryland, they would have beat them by probably two or three touchdowns. Yeah, and, and, and it's just like, man, it's just like, this is why I hate when people, like, and it's semantics, it doesn't really matter. They lost the game. But that's they why did. I always hated when people say they got dominated because it's like they didn't because they still should have won the game. But it was such yeah. a hopeless feeling because every time they needed to play, whether it was on offense or it was on defense, they could never get it. And it's just yeah. like... It was just a really weird game to watch where you knew that you should have won and and you could do nothing to stop it. Yeah, and I think uh, the offense looked really young and inexperienced in that game. You know, you had Mayan Williams. You had a first-time starter. You had Travion Henderson, a true freshman. You had C.J. Stroud in his second start against a pretty good defensive staff, honestly. Uh, And then you just keep going down the list. Um, You could tell – Day wasn't fully comfortable and trusting as a play caller for the offense yet. And I think that played into some of the simple, the simplicity, you know, of all of it. But at the end of the day, it just was a game where I think all of the issues you saw in the 2020 season were very apparent. And I think in the notes, I put bullied for a second time in three games. Uh, Alabama did a lot of the same things uh, to Ohio state that Oregon did. And 
one had Devontae Smith, one did not. I don't think there's a single receiver on Oregon at that level. So that was a huge difference to me. And I just think that was kind of the game where I was like, all right, you know, this team actually really does have a long way to go. This isn't a national championship team. And if they are going to be at the end of the year, uh, we're going to need some wholesale changes, which is where the conversation about firing Kerry Combs and the whole defensive staff started. Yeah, um, definitely. And it's just like, I don't know. I, I feel like we could talk about this game singularly for like three podcasts, but the like you asked earlier for the like the the word of the season and the word of this game was hope was helpless hope, like helpless, yeah. it's just like just it, it's just like so so close and yet so far away like the carrot yeah. on the stick and you're, you're almost there and so but I, I do i do agree still that it was a game that needed to happen for multiple reasons, just yeah, like Michigan yeah. needed to happen. I, Cause I just don't, I believe I, that I felt like there was a complacency in this team that needed to get slapped out of there. Yeah. And it lasted because we see how the season went, but I think this was the spark that was needed because I think Ryan day is a supremely confident coach. I think he loves his players and his staff but he's also competitive and him being confident and loving his players and his staff means I genuinely believe he thinks positively on everyone and thinks that everything can be fixed, but you need stuff like this to fire up the competitor in him to be like, Nope, this is not good enough. Despite my confidence in you, despite my love for you, this is not good enough. And I genuinely believe that if something like this didn't happen, it wouldn't, nothing would have changed because I don't think Ryan Day is the type of guy who's just going to fire you because your metric was a hundred and you did 95 and you were slightly under your metric, but you know, whatever, like, you know what I mean? Like, I think he's going to give chance after chance and this is what you needed for him to be like, okay, the competitive side woke up. I love you. I believe in you, but it's not enough. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, uh, I think that that's a good that's a good lead into the next game, the change, because going into the Tulsa game is when Ryan Day said there's going to be changes and we're going to see him next week. And that's when, you know, we were wondering, are they going to be schematic changes? Is Kerry Combs going to be the coach, uh, a coach at Ohio State still? Is some inner staff shuffling going to go on? And then we got the news that Matt Barnes was going to be the play caller for Ohio State. Uh and that was in season, like one of the most monumental shifts you could make from a coaching perspective is like taking away play calling from a coordinator. Like you probably can't fire a court. You can fire a coordinator mid season, uh, but it's just, it doesn't seem as productive as it was. I think Combs actually deserves a lot of credit for relinquishing his role and allowing Matt Barnes to kind of have his voice. And they kept talking about how it was a collaborative effort. And we all know what goes into game planning isn't the same as what happens on Saturday. And Matt Barnes called the plays. And we saw that the first week against Tulsa. And I opened up our old show plans because like we talked about staff reshuffling, probably no title changes, play calling and scheme, all that stuff. And all of it happened. Uh, So there was more two high shells there was more rolling of the safeties, but it wasn't really anything overcomplicated. We saw a couple fire blitzes from linebackers, but once again, nothing crazy. Um, and the Tulsa game was incredibly close for a long time. Then Ohio State scored two touchdowns late to kind of get it to that 
21 point win. I, I just remember being like in the Tulsa game. I didn't even really care that it was close. I was like, I just want to win this football game. Honestly, just get back on the winning side. Yeah. And and the Tulsa game was the beginning of like my re- uh, realization that like this season wasn't going to be pretty like not like it wasn't obviously because there was multiple points, especially when we get to the games after this, where I really believed in Ohio State. But it was when I was like, OK, we just need to win. Like it doesn't need it doesn't have to be pretty. We just need to win. I think that's kind of the start of that Tulsa game because that game was not pretty at all. Um But I I remember being excited because we saw some different things from uh, Matt Barnes and from the defense and they had fixed the issue. Some of the issues like they weren't letting people outside in, uh, even though they were terrible, terrible in the middle. Um, And the Tulsa game is where they couldn't handle the bunch to save their lives. But uh, there was some some progress. But I do remember just like it's just going to be ugly. Yeah. And. I just I was thinking about it too, and that that's like the Travion Anderson coming out party. You know, I think we saw C.J. Stroud's injury like culmination. Like he was hurt. Like at that point, you could tell like this dude was playing injured. He was always grabbing at his shoulder. Like he wasn't throwing with any confidence. He was really kind of moving around gingerly, and he did not want to get hit. Like very indecisive anytime there was contact coming. And it just was one of those times. And this is where the quarterback controversy really started. Everyone's like Ben Stroud, Kyle McCord starting. And then that's where we had to come in with our reasonable voices, you know, never over emotional, this podcast Uh, and say like CJ Stroud's young, like give him some time. Like I'm going to give Tulsa credit where it's due. Like they're not a very talented football team, but their defensive coordinator over the last five years has gotten the most out of every single player he has. And it's a tough look when you've got five, eight guys dropping and you're a freshman quarterback. Yeah. Oh, God. I'm, I'm like to do a season review. We can't not talk about the, the quarterback stuff, but I really wish you wouldn't have brought that up. <laughs> like, yeah, I just it, like like that. That time period was so frustrating to, to there are multiple it was one of the most stressful weeks of my life. Yeah, there were multiple times in in the season where like getting on Twitter was felt unbearable, and that was one of them. And it's just like, please calm down. It's his fourth game, third game, whatever it was. Like he is going to be fine. He does some very unique things. Yeah. Um, and I, I just remember thinking to myself, I'm like, holy crap, this is going to be a crazy year. Like. Ohio State barely beat Tulsa by 21. We're about to be in. We're about to be in it for the long haul here. Like, Travion Henderson emerging was, I think, the only positive that came from the Tulsa week besides the changes on the staff, which didn't net positives that game, but you saw what could become of the positives in that game. Yeah, definitely. But that takes us to Akron, and this game was the worst, honestly. Like, Ohio State killed them. The defense looked great. False hope. I mean, everyone's like, it's Akron, but you needed to see a performance like that to like buy into some of these improvements. Kyle McCord had a good game, and everyone's like, should be the starter. I'm like, no, it's Akron. If C.J. Stroud played with his left hand, he could have put up some of those numbers against Akron. Yeah, if uh, C.J. Stroud played against Akron and we don't win Michigan, he loses. He wins the Heisman because he would have put up like 500 yards and four touchdowns. Yeah, he would have been a 5,000 yard passer if he had the Akron game. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I was thinking about this. Jagger Larue, our, our guy Jagger, could have won this game for us. 
It would have been closer, but he could have did it. Yeah, he could hand the ball off to Trey. Jack Miller could have won that game, I think, as a starter. Kyle Kyle did great, though. I, I, do, I will say this. I don't want to take away too much from Kyle because of that conversation. I think Kyle in spot duty was impressive. And, you know, we could make fun of Akron all you want, but it was still his first start ever. And yeah. I, let's let me pull the stat up real quick. I, I I can't remember how high he got in yardage totals, but I remember it being a lot. It was like four hundred, I, I think three or yeah, four hundred. It, it was a record, yeah. if I recall. So the one thing uh, I'll say about that is that game was felt like validation for me because I had been on the Kyle McCord train for yeah. a while, and I'm yeah. still on it. Although I'm I'm slightly jumping off, and it's nothing that Kyle did. This Devin kid just looks spectacular so like so it, it's not kyle's fault i was on the kyle train when it came to um when it came to quinn but i don't know man i don't know if he's gonna beat out Devin. but either way like kyle mccord i said the entire time he was gonna be good he wasn't gonna transfer he won the backup job he pushed cj stroud however much we don't know um was solid yeah. in that game a little bit, you know, up and down in some of the other spot duty games and stuff. But I'll say this, um, if Kyle McCord was our next starting quarterback in 2023, I would have no issue. Also, nope. because that means he beat out Devin Brown and this kid looks special. Yeah, so He's talented. And yeah, I think, I, I, I think we kind of like us, other people get kind of torn into these little, storylines that don't really impact the team in the locker room as much as we think they do. And I think Kyle McCord, like I think CJ Stroud was like probably genuinely excited that Kyle had a good game because in the locker room, Stroud knew he was coming back with the job. Like Ryan day doesn't do that without like reassuring because Stroud would gut out an injury if he thought his job was on the line. You know what I'm saying? And he knew he was coming back to start and he got healthy and the one thing I will say about the Akron game is I think the defense came together. I think the young talent flashed, like Tyleek Williams flashed. I think Jack Sawyer flashed in that game. Um, is that the game? Uh, oh no, Cam Martinez had a touchdown Tulsa game, but uh, there were like there were some really big plays defensively. Uh, I think Ryan Watts had an interception. He's gone now, but that was an impressive play. Uh, there's just a lot of positives defensively from an individual standpoint. And that was a huge takeaway from that Ecker game. I, th- I think that's fair. Um, and then just to transition to the next one, uh, Rutgers, Straw Stroud came back with his hair on fire because he's a competitor. And I think as much as you said, and I agree that he was happy from McCord, he was also like, nah, this is my job. This is my team. I've seen the tweets. I saw how you played. There's no controversy and went out and, you know. Yeah, 335 touchdowns had almost as many touchdowns as incompletions. Like incredible performance from him. Yeah, so – I mean, I I think these next couple of games, like you said before, we can group them together. Uh, The the theme of these games was overmatched teams. I mean, it was very exciting watching it, but going looking backwards at it, it's like they gave the fan base some false hope. The Rutgers, Maryland, Indiana stretch. So we'll start with Rutgers real quick. Rutgers, you know, I like Shiano. He plays an aggressive man to man style against those receivers. That was never going to work. Never. 
No. <laughs> the defense. Noah Bedrall, I like him. I think he's a fun quarterback. I think he's like the prototypical mid-tier Big Ten program quarterback where he's like good at a lot of things, but he's not great at anything, you know? And he's bad at some stuff, like decision-making at times. So uh, I think we saw that. I think the defensive touchdown in that game was exactly an example of him just not being a, always good at making decisions, which is a huge proponent in quarterback play. I thought the defense, this was like, I think they dominated this game, honestly. And that like was exciting. But I think the Maryland game was where we, where I really kind of was like, okay. Oh, sorry. got hiccups. Um, I thought the defense really took it to another level was the Maryland game. Cause I think at that point in time, Maryland was like six and one or like five and two or something stupid like that. And Talia was dealing and they had Demas Jr. at receiver. They had Rakeem Jarrett at receiver. They had some guys who could really test the defense. Uh, Demas Jr. was injured for this game. He though. was hurt. Who's the yeah. other guy? Uh, Rakeem Jarrett. Uh, and Rakeem? They had a third guy, too. I can't they have a good room. They have a receiving room that's pretty good. Well, according to some people, it's the best wide receiver and, room in the Big Ten. Right. <laughs> I was really hoping not to go there, but <laughs> that was wrong. So. Uh, looking at that game here, uh, 66 to 17, the offense was incredible. Stroud, 400 yards, five touchdowns. Travion Henderson had a 16 carry, 102 yard day, two touchdowns. Master Teague had a solid game there. In the absence of Mayan Williams, this is kind of where his injury stretch started. He had the sickness or the viral infection, I think is what it ended up being. And then what else did he have? Then he had something going on with like a hamstring or something. Uh, was the first Steel Chambers game? The first Steel Chambers game happened in this time period, right? Uh, yes, but I, honestly, I don't remember what game. I think he started playing defense against Akron, and then he really started playing defense. Was it that early? I think it was. Man, you're probably right because I know it was before the Penn State game, and we're getting getting to that. I just don't remember yeah, when he started. Chambers honestly. has defensive stats against Maryland, so it was at least Maryland early. But I think it was I think it was Akron was where he first started playing defense. That sounds that uh, sounds about right. But yeah, it just wasn't a game where, like, I'm looking at everything. Ohio State gave up a lot of yards. They didn't give up a lot of touchdowns, though. And they gave up a few chunk plays, and I think that's kind of where a lot of their yards came from. But, like, 4.5 yards per play, not bad, not the best. Um, And we were kind of buying in. And then I think this was the game where I was like, yeah, you can't take anything away from the Indiana game, honestly. I think offensively you could. Defensively, they're like once they're on their third quarterback, I'm like, all right, this game's a wash for the defense. Anything they, it can only go bad, you know. Yeah, that's and one of those games you want to put up points, get your guys out, so nobody gets injured. Yeah, and I, I put in the notes, offense could have put up 100 points, and I fully, wholeheartedly believe that. But I think Ryan Day does respect uh, Tom Allen. And would not run the score up on him. Yeah, which is interesting because uh, this is more of a conversation for the offseason and for the I-70 football show. But Tom Allen should enter the season uh, on the hot seat. On the hot seat, without a doubt. I agree. But yeah, I just think I think when you have Jack Total get hurt 
and then you have their backup quarterback get hurt, and then you're down to your third string true freshman who got there in August type. Uh, I, I think that would be a little harsh to run up the score on that team who can't even really fight it with their own offense. They ran, yeah, I think they ran for like 50 yards against Ohio State, so yeah, it was just not, it was not pleasant. 34 yards rushing, well, it was stack yards added in, so it did not, not great. But a great performance from the defense against an extremely overmatched football team. Essentially. Uh, yeah, so I, I like you can't take anything away from that game. It was awesome. A lot of players put up stats offensively, but like it, it wasn't it wasn't something that in hindsight should have got fans as excited as it did. Because in the next game, we played a physical, well coached football team. And I think with Drew Aller coming to Penn State, I think they're gonna be a little bit more dangerous moving forward. But I, I like this game sucked. Like, honestly, this was one of the worst games, I think. I think this game was, in my eyes, as bad as the Oregon game. They just ended up winning. Just, I think a lot of the issues on offense we thought were never going to come back, came back in this game. And the defense in the second half just was trying to do everything they could to lose this game. (laughs) Essentially, yeah. Um, This game was like, it just, uh, you put in... You put in the show notes that this game is where, like, the predictability really started to come up. Yeah. And you're 100% right because if we're being honest, you can go to the Akron game and you can tell Akron we're running counter, which they never ran. More you can say we're running inside zone or we're going to run a slanter. He's going to run a post and they most likely wouldn't be able to stop it. But when you get to Penn State, who has the players to stop it and they have five, six games, whatever game this is, a film, and they start to pick up on those tendencies of every time you're in this formation, you do this, we can stop it. And yeah, and you have, have Brent Pry as their defensive coordinator who got a head coaching job at Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. So he's no slouch if he's getting a head coaching job. Yeah, and, and we uh, saw we just saw the struggles there. And yeah, I, I think you're probably leading in this next, but then you saw it in the passing game as well, where they got really predictable there in like the third and five range, third and six range. And we gave up a lot of points. There's a lot, a lot of points left on the field. And I think in our other show notes, Ohio State could have won this game by like 25, 30 points if they yeah. just converted in the red zone. And this is really – I don't know if we actually said it. I don't want to pretend that we did because I don't remember. But if we didn't say it, this is when we, st- we should have started we to realize have. that the all-tackle thing wasn't working. Because yeah, we Penn should. State, they half their defensive line was transfers because they lost a lot of guys last year. And they had and they Arnold, good, uh, like- Arnold E. I can't remember how to say his name. He was pretty solid. I think he's the one from Temple and, and some stuff. But this line couldn't get any movement like at all. And – I, I, again, I don't remember if we actually said it, but if we didn't, we should have. We should have had yeah, a feeling. That, sure. like, okay, this is uh, getting ugly. Yeah, definitely. And I think I think the, the next game, Nebraska, is even worse. Because I think when you play Penn State, you kind of use it's like divisional rival. It's always tough. Like James Franklin has coached in a lot of close games against Ohio State in his career. He's got a strategy that that can win against Ohio State, you know, but it hasn't really. The next week against Nebraska, I know 
Nebraska was the best team at losing close games in the entire 2021 season. I think we can book that one. And they lost so many games by one score because they are a tough football team. They do have some talent and they had a lot of experience on the defense side of the ball, but they didn't know how to win games. And, and, so to yeah, get that out and Ohio state could have easily blown the doors off that, that off Nebraska and just never did. And I think this is where we sort of, this was CJ Stroud's worst game of the season. I think uh, we had seen him play great two, two interceptions. Or am I tripping? Yeah. Two interceptions. Both of them were really bad. Uh, the second half Ohio state kicked. I, they kicked four field goals in this game all in the red zone too, if I recall. So it really was just one of those games where nothing was going well. It started with Stroud. He had one of the worst interceptions I've ever seen a quarterback throw. And the second one, honestly, was just an incredible play by the linebacker. But he still shouldn't have thrown that ball, tried to squeeze it in there. But you know the one I'm talking about, where the linebacker rode the route and then toe-tapped to get it in there. That was one of the best plays I've ever seen from a linebacker. But – Shouldn't have been made. Are you talking about the one where he should have threw it out of bounds? Yeah. Ah, I mean, it was a good play, but like, still, I, I, I do I, like we do I that. I think for, that guy had that athleticism. Honestly, that's true. The toe tap was nice, but it's like, why are you throwing that? <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, and then the next game on the list because we we could literally just say all the same things we said about Penn State for this Nebraska game. Yeah, and and, and it's like if we didn't know it in Penn State, we definitely should have known it in Nebraska. Known it in Nebraska, and I feel like we were kind of on it. I just don't think that I, I still re- think I just we don't wanted remember. to believe it. Yeah, yeah, I don't think we wanted to believe it. We were just like tough road, Lincoln, Nebraska. You know, they were playing for a season. You know, we used that twice. Penn State was playing for their season. Nebraska was playing for their season. Everyone's and obviously Ohio State's everybody's Super Bowl. So that plays a part in it. And then after that Nebraska game, we were kind of worried about the offense again. And like, uh uh-oh, like, and then they played Purdue, which should be everyone's confidence booster from an offense standpoint because everyone scores on Purdue. Uh, Stroud, five touchdowns. Once again, master efficiency. Travion Henderson, 98 yards, two touchdowns. Mayan Williams had a really good return game, 117 yards. And Garrett Wilson had a 51-yard rushing touchdown. Um, this was, um, oh, hold on. I need to go back to Nebraska one quick. Cause I'd be doing injustice. That was Jackson Smith and Jigba's coming out with party too. Yeah. So that was un- incredible. That's when we knew we had, we knew we had something special there, but then we're like, okay, this dude's actually different. Um, Purdue, uh, was that the game where, uh, Garrett Wilson came back from his injury? Yes. And, and, the, and it it was, like, they force fed him, which it, force feeding is almost the wrong word because he was just open. But he had a bunch of touches early. That's when he had the he passing had and the rushing touchdowns. touchdowns. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's that game. Yep. This is the Garrett. So we had the Jackson Smith. And guess what? Jackson Smith and Jigba had nine catches, 130 yards and a touchdown in that game. Yeah. That was kind yeah. of a sneaky stat line from him, right? Yeah, it was it was one of those games where it's like if you weren't paying attention, you forgot that he played really well because Garrett Wilson just went supernova. Yeah, had four touchdowns. <clears throat> and then Alave also had a really big game. So like there was just a lot of really awesome performances against Purdue. And I thought all things considered, I thought the defense played pretty well. 
given the potency of Purdue's offense. Yeah, I mean, it was another game, fool's gold, where it was just like you you start, especially going towards the end of the season, you start to see these things and it's like, okay, yeah, we had issues, but this team just upset Michigan State and we just blew the doors off of them. And then we go to play Michigan State and Garrett Wilson came back with this crazy performance and the offense is clicking and the defense isn't great, but they're settling down. And then in that Nebraska game, you kind of use the excuse like, well, he doesn't have Garrett Wilson here. That's kind of why the offense is a little stagnant. But then, like, you looked at the Penn State the week before. You did have Garrett Wilson, and those are the same issues. Yeah. I mean, it's it's, 2020, so. It is. Like, it's easy for us to say now because we watched the whole season. And it's easy to point out what we should have known and what we didn't know and this, that, and the third. But it's just, I mean, we didn't. that's, That's like why we wanted to do this, though, so. It's, so it's, the, it's basically I an think, episode of us eating crow. So. Yeah, I think in the next game against Michigan State, that's where the fool's gold really hit. Oh, they yeah. Were, at the time, they were the 11th-ranked team, Ohio State. We had just played in a game against Purdue where we beat the team that beat them, so we're, we're juiced up. You know, we're like I remember how confident I felt going into this game. I'm like, they're about to kick the crap out of Michigan State, but we should probably be a little worried about Kenneth Walker. I thought it was going to be a very similar score to what happened against Purdue, but Ohio State dominated them so much in the first half. It was 49 nothing that Michigan State was sitting Kenneth Walker by the second quarter. Yeah, that's how bad it was. And I mean, that was the that was the biggest fool's gold of them all, especially because of how we played in the running game. And then we all know what happened in Michigan the next week in the running game. But like shutting down, you know, Kenneth Walker like that. It's like, okay, we talked about it after we're like, well, Kenneth Walker kind of does his own thing. He kind of runs against the scheme. He does a lot of cuts that he shouldn't do. And when you're playing a defense that is not good in the scheme against what you do. You should probably stick to it, you know, but he didn't. And that allowed like guys like Ronnie Hickman and other players to really make sure that he wasn't going to have a big day because it's like, all right, you're going to try to out athlete us. We're still great athletes. Here you go. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's fair. Um, so I don't know, man. I just know I was geeked after the Michigan state game. Yeah, And, and yeah, it's like, I, Especially because for me, while I didn't think any of the Big Ten teams were like amazing, I thought Michigan State was the our biggest hurdle because, namely, the Before, running game. Yeah. But also, they had and my and it's still true in my opinion of the teams that were decent. So Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State, Iowa, and Wisconsin. If we would have had to play them, I felt like. They had the best passing game. I felt like they had the best quarterback. Not a good quarterback, but I felt of all the teams, they had the best quarterback and the most competent running game. You you know, maybe you think Cade McNamara is better, but there's not a wide receiver on Michigan that's better than Michigan Mm -hmm. State's two guys. So I was Mm -hmm. like, if we can beat them like this and their passing game doesn't get off and their running game doesn't get off, like we're on to something. And Michigan State beat Michigan, so you do the transitive property, go into that next week really, really confident. Uh, Too confident, I guess. A little too confident. (laughs) Um, I'm not – I mean, 
that takes us into the last one. I pulled up their schedule, and I, I remember looking at it before the game, and I'm like, I, I just kept looking at the scores. I'm like, all right, 32-29 Nebraska, 33-7. They got Northwestern. They were terrible that year. Lost to Michigan State. We just beat them 56-7. Incredible. Indiana, 29-7. Nothing special. Penn State, 21-17. Nothing special. 59-18. Nothing special. Uh, against Maryland. That's why it was nothing special, you know. It was a good game for them, but nothing special, nothing out of this realm of reality. And then we went in. I think we were pretty gassed up. We were like, we just destroyed Michigan State. Like, that's the team that beat them. Like, this is going to be a walk in the park. Uh, Going into the game, you know, I thought Ohio State, you know, we talked about that little bit of complacency that kind of led into it. I think there was a little bit of that going into the game. I think, I think this was the first time it felt like me, like to me, a team didn't really see the game for what it should be. And yeah. I think there was moments there in that game where I'm like, you know, I just don't think this team gets it. Honestly, you know, I'm torn on that. I'm torn on if the team didn't get it or if they just weren't good. And and maybe they didn't get it because they don't have the leadership. Like, I never felt that they didn't understand the rivalry or they didn't get the importance of it. I just felt that they, I don't know. Like, because I don't think it's that they didn't show up. I just think that, one, Michigan wanted it more, which is easy to say, fine. I just think that they were unprepared. I think, you know, we talk about it all the time. Why is Nick Saban and Bill Belichick, the, why are they two, the two greatest coaches ever? Because they never get complacent. They never get tired of the grind. And they never stop wanting excellence. More. And yeah. I, I don't think they didn't get it. I think they understood the importance. I just think that... I just think that the years of winning built up and they were like an invincibility. That's the better word. I think it was an air of invincibility. Like, Hey, we've always beat them. We're going to beat them and we're going to come out and run our stuff. Like, you know, and I I think at the end of the day, this, like, you know, it sucks. But like an old Woody Hayes quote, like, you don't know, like, the best lessons, like getting punched in the face or something like that. I don't know the yeah. exact quote off the top of my head. But I you know, know what you're talking you, about, yeah. You don't know who you are until you get punched in the mouth. I know a lot of coaches say that, too. Oh, I just think I punched in the mouth in that game. If I, like, you know, like you grow up in school, there's that kid you just don't like, you don't vibe with. That's that's Michigan. And they punched us in the face. Yeah. And, and I think <clears throat> it's fair. And, like, what, their last six drives, they scored touchdowns or something like that? Mm-hmm. And, and they bullied Ohio State on the at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, which, you know, isn't really how Ohio State's beat them the last few years. They beat them by out-athleting them. And I think at times during the game, you sort of felt like that was going to happen. But they just didn't have the dudes on defense <clears throat> this year to yeah. get that done. And this Michigan loss was really a culmination of a couple of years for Ohio State. Um, yeah. Ohio State became a finesse program. Um, and – 
in most years, in almost every year, you can win as a finesse program until you face Alabama. Like that's when it really hurts you. Um, and I don't want to say entirely a finesse program because we do still we've had some studs in certain years, but we were just leaning towards that, leaning towards yeah. finesse, leaning towards guys who can play multiple positions and no real position, leading towards like just like certain things and not really a mentality. Um and so I think that this that's why I said I don't think they didn't want it. I just I just think that like looking back on it, like this game needed to happen. Like it did. It I, did. I and I know it's a cop out and I know if, it's corny. This game doesn't but, have you don't get Jim Knowles, you don't have yeah. this recruiting plan change, the importance of a Caden Curry commitment, the importance of these guys committing aren't the same, you know? And you lose the hunger. Again, the reason why Nick Saban is the best coach ever is because his teams almost never lose their hunger. But that's not repeatable. And And so... Nick Saban's team, like this year, lost the hunger. They lost to Texas A and M. Yeah, and he's just a better like, coach. So and then he, he just uses to... that as fuel, and he's like, "All right, you guys aren't losing again." They go and curb stomp Georgia, who at times this year looked invincible. And and that's the thing, Nick Saban has some issues that Ohio State has. He's just a better coach and was able to work through them. I I bet whatever that Nick Saban fires at least three coaches. After, after, yeah, I don't because think his defensive, defensive coordinator is not good. I'm not sure they keep Bill O'Brien. Their offense isn't great. Well, he'll get um, it. He, he's going to get the job here oh soon. I keep seeing that he's going to get a job, and I don't know why. I, I really, we're running long. We don't have to talk about that, but Jesus, I do not yeah. know why he's getting a job. I, yeah, no. If I, you I can't mean, coach with Deshaun Watson, you can't coach with anybody. Well, he could, and then he became the president and general manager as well, and he was terrible, terrible. At that. <laughs> yeah, like the worst ever at that. Very bad. He turned a roster with Deshaun Watson, who was one of the most like generational QB talents, into a one in fifteen team. Or something crazy like that. Like that's incredible so mismanagement. So, so as long bad. as he's not in charge of roster management, he's <laughs> not might a bad be, football coach. He might be okay. <laughs> but yeah, I guess since we talked in the Rose Bowl at the beginning, like I think this Michigan game, you know, the stuff Desmond Howard said in New York, the jokes Aiden Hutchinson made in New York, like you saw Stroud's face. You saw his performance in the Rose Bowl, like this game's obviously resonating with this team now, this defeat and you know, that bitter taste in your mouth, you know, after what, 2015, 2016, there was no one on the Ohio state roster that had lost to Michigan. Yeah. Something like that. It's hard to keep like kind of saying like, yeah, like it could be this year. Like we, we could be the team that loses, you know, no one says that. Yeah. And when you don't, and when you, again, when you don't have leadership and everyone's young, like, and I, it's just, Ultimately, yeah, I, was when I said my phrase was up and down, right? Yeah. Ultimately, these are the ups and downs of college football, and Ohio State is the most recession-proof program in the world because this is our this is, this our, is bottom. our bottom. A ten and two Rose Bowl is our bottom, but at the end, like you, like you, it has to happen. Like it, it does. Like we bottomed with I, Urban Meyer. We lost to Michigan. We lost to Iowa. We lost to Michigan State. Like you go up and down, 
And those losses propelled us into multiple playoff games. And then we missed the playoffs. And we propelled, like, this is the ups and downs of, of life, of college football. Yeah. And, and we I are know, blessed that our down is 10 and 2 in a Rose Bowl. Yeah. Work. And Ohio State fans always kind of get stuck into comparison to Nick Saban and Alabama. There's only one Nick Saban. Comparison is the thief of joy. Yeah. And I, I like, of all the coaches in the country, there is not another coach I'm taking over Ryan Day at this moment. Like Nick Saban, not included in that. And even mm-hmm. then, it's kind of a tough decision. But I, I, I'd take some national championships, and I know Nick Saban would probably get it done in the next year. So you know, I, I think this is a conversation we need to have in the offseason because I think I agree with you. We're going long, so I don't want to say why I don't want the other coaches. But the only coaches on the list, I'm not sure. Like Lincoln Riley's on the list. Dabble's on most people's list, but he's not on mine. Kirby Smart's on the list. Um, but you're not taking him over right there. No, no. I mean, but I, I think we should talk about this a little bit longer yeah, on another I podcast. Think I think Maybe it's next a, week. a very interesting one. But yeah, ultimately, it's just like it's just the ups and downs. I, I mean, it is, and that's kind of what this season like embodied was like. This was a college football season. This wasn't you know. This wasn't like what we had become used to seeing. Yeah. And I do want to say that I genuinely believe, because you touched on it earlier, that's what I was going to say. You t- It took an hour for me to figure it out. You touched on it earlier. I think people are understating the importance of all of these fifth and sixth year seniors on all of these rosters. I yeah. think that there are a lot of programs this year who had career years who it's never going to happen again. Um I gen- like I don't know that Michigan State is going to have this year again. I don't know yeah. that Purdue is going to have this year again. I want them to because it was fun. I don't like and 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 I, I say this because when it was happening, I forget some of them now, but there was like five to ten long-standing rivalries that were like Ohio State and Michigan, where the other team won for the first time ever. Yeah. And it happened. Well, Oklahoma uh, State beat Oklahoma. Michigan beat Ohio State. Um, like this is like on the list goes on and on and on of these. T- uh, Oregon State beat Oregon. I think. Right? Think about, no. Uh, Washington State beat Washington. I don't think Oregon State yeah. beat Oregon. But like, so I many of these. Think about this. Uh, <clears throat> there was a new ACC champion for the first time in I don't know how long. Uh, there was a new Big 12 champion for the first time in like eight years. There was a new Big 10 champion for the first time in I want to say five years. Like, this yeah. was an incredible year of college football, like outside of the Ohio State perspective. And as an Ohio State fan, I get that it sucked to have this. And that's like everyone's like, I don't want Alabama and Ohio State to just like, like everyone in college football doesn't want that. But I'm like, I do. I yeah. want Ohio State and Alabama. Well, like, first I want of all, consistency. They all want same. that too because they said yeah. they didn't want it and they finally got parody and hated it. They hated it. Like they outside of Ohio it. State, not like the stuff happening with Ohio State. I love the parody, and I can admit I just didn't like with Ohio State because ultimately I am a fan, right? But um, 
Yeah, I, I just think that you can't understate uh, and and all of the teams who had young guys. I mean, again, Nick Saban's the greatest coach of all time, but Clemson struggled. Alabama struggled. Ohio State struggled. Oklahoma struggled. All the teams who typically, when it's young on young, can beat everyone because your young guys are better, struggled because now it was young on old. And I don't it's care how talented, I don't care how talented your 18-year-old is. <clears throat> When he's going up against that fifth or sixth year, twenty three year old, especially in the trenches, come on, that gr- like yeah. you know that grown man strength hits that three four years in a program with the nutritionist, your 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 pain's already freaking like you hate your life because of all the physical pain you've gone through for five years, and you're taking it yeah. out with that freshman across. Yeah, like it, it's just different. So I, we came full circle as we start to wrap up, but I do think that people understated. Um, or I just haven't fully realized how important yeah. that that extra year of eligibility and a lot of teams coming back with old guys was. And I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I think Clemson kind of, you know, falling yeah. a little bit, but I wouldn't be surprised. Well, yeah. I would be surprised. They, they probably will bounce back, back to with all their changes. Uh, but that's another thing we talk about. Yeah. I, I think overall, like the season – this was it was a fun season. At the end of the day, you learned a lot about Ohio State as a program. We're still going to learn a lot more this off season, and next year you get a pressure test immediately to start mm. it with Notre Dame. No, that's not a pressure test. Notre it, it's not a pressure a good test. Team. It's not. I, I'm, it's it, it's no different than Oregon. Like we didn't think Oregon was a good team. I think they're going to beat the crap I out of Notre Oregon Dame. Oregon was a good team. Notre Dame is not a good team. I don't care. I think they're going to beat Notre Dame pretty badly <laughs> early. But I, I'm still going to call it a pressure test because that's what everyone else is going to do. I hope. But they've got Marcus Freeman, a first-time head coach. <laughs> so I, um, I, I honestly think Day's going to eat that defense alive. I do. I can't wait till we get to the Notre Dame episode in the offseason because I have some thoughts. I I do not like anything about the way they built their team. And I think nope. it's full of the mistakes that a young head coach makes. Yeah, um, and I, I think, honestly, next week's show is going to be loaded, too. This is the offseason, guys. <laughs> yeah. We just went hour 50 in the offseason. But, yeah, I think that's – I think that's – I'm good with wrapping it up there. I don't have any final thoughts. I think we got them all out there. Yeah, if I say anything else, we're going to go for two and a half hours. So, uh, I, I think uh, I'm good. I think it was a good show. The season wasn't up and down. There's some, there's some, a lot of negative things that need to be fixed. There's some momentum. The if you're looking for a silver lining, the silver lining is youth. Youth, hundred percent. Youth maturing. Yes. This team went through puberty. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> remember how bad puberty sucked? Yeah. And that's my final thought. I. I uh, that's it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, this team had acne. Bad. They grew arms in there. They had body odor for the first time. <laughs> But they got a little more athletic. They started being able to touch the rim. They started getting a little big yeah. for their britches. And then they got slapped in the face. And now yeah. it's back to back to their final years. Uh, the yep. Wonder Years. But sure. that's it for me today. You guys can follow me at Chris Rennie CFB. Follow the show at Buck Off Pod. Jordan, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me at Jordan W330. And that's it for today. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. Rate the show. And that's it for me. Go Bucks.